Father, I thank you for Pastor Chris, and I thank you that he's strong in you and the power of your might, and I thank you he's as blessed bringing forth the word as we are receiving it, and I just thank you for anointing our ears to hear and our hearts to receive in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come upon him with your anointing and your power, and I thank you. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. How's everyone? Good. Blessed. She asked for my help, but then I didn't help. So let me help now on that announcement that she was making for everybody under the age of 40. A commode is a toilet. That makes sense now, right? Like, what's she talking about? What's a commode? It's a pretty old term, Pastor. Just let not, now you know. Yeah, see, you knew what you, yeah, but that's, I qualified my statement, Yvonne. Yeah, yeah. What's an ice box or an ice house? Yeah, these are terms that date you, just letting you know. So, yeah. It sounds cleaner. Okay. All right. All right. I want you to turn to me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 60. This morning I'm going to be, um, we're going to be talking about the beginning of this Advent season and some unique aspects about Jesus' birth, but we're going to start before that period of time, amen? So if you brought your Bible, say, I brought it. Say, if you didn't bring it, say, I didn't bring it. I got it on my phone. Good. That means you read it every single day, right? That you spend more time in the Bible app than you do on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I, I will confess, I have to remind myself, I will doom scroll. Do you know what that means? That means you are laying there or, or sitting there mindlessly scrolling through social media. And I catch myself sometimes going, what am I doing? I surely can find a better use of my time than this. Um, you know, I have an Apple device, in, you know, because I'm a Christian, instead of an Android device. Praying for the rest of you. Um, but one of the, one of the things <laughs> it does is it will tell you what apps you spend your time in and give you a little report and it's pretty eye opening how much time we we waste so that's for free that was not part of my message that's just for free for y'all this morning all right <laughs> Isaiah chapter 60 if you're there say I'm there if you don't know where Isaiah is say I'm a heathen no okay it's old testament it's all right Isaiah one of the prophets. Chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Amen. If you have a pen or a highlighter, I want you to just kind of put some brackets or, or I want you to underline or I want you to highlight this area of Scripture because I want you to go back and study this. One of the themes of what I've been preaching lately is to take us into the Old Testament and to look at some of the prophetic words that were uttered about Jesus and then for us to go in the New Testament and to see the fulfillment of those prophetic words come to pass. And so it is today. So you can keep your finger there if you want. You can put a little bookmark there if you want. But now I want you to turn over to Matthew. 
the book of Matthew is where we're going to be spending the rest of our time for the most part in this morning. It's the beginning of the Advent season. It's the beginning of this Christmas season. Christmas literally means Christ's Mass. It's where we get together and we celebrate for this period of time the birth of our Savior, the Savior of the world. The Messiah that was promised to come, even as we just read, and this prophecy will be illuminated to you as we read in Matthew. So starting in the second chapter, starting in verse 1, I just hang with me a little bit. We're going to read through this through verse 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, meaning the anointed one, was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they ex- rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's like as much joy as you could possibly fathom in some words. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You're familiar with this story, right? The title of my message is The Gifts of the Magi. That is the actual term for these men that journeyed to pay homage to Jesus. We call them the wise men or the three kings. That's right. And this is probably a familiar story to you because it's part of the nativity. It's part of the Christmas story. If you were raised in church at all, you've been hearing about it since you were a small child. But have you ever stopped to go, what a weird story in the middle of Matthew's gospel? Or did you take it for granted because it was something that you were already familiar with before reading the scripture? Because I have to tell you, church, it's a weird story to be here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Let's break it down. Overview. What Matthew is interrupting the story of Jesus to say is that some pagan priests from another country that were not Hebrew, were not Jews, journeyed because they saw a star through their astrology studies, followed it, found Jesus, and worshipped him and brought gifts, and then went back their own way after God appeared to them at that point by an angel to warn them of going back to Herod. That's weird. And it only exists inside of Matthew's gospel. So let's break this down even further. 
So it says at the beginning, in the days of King Herod. Now, King Herod is actually the king of the Jews at this point. He is basically a propped up false king that the Romans have in power because uh, Jerusalem and all of Israel is under the oppressive rule of the Roman government. We know that, right? We know that at this point, if you're familiar with your Bible, that's who eventually crucifies Jesus. But there is a kingdom, and the way that Rome would go and they would conquer people is they would say, you're beaten, okay, now we're going to assimilate you, but you're going to have your rulers, and you're going to be able to kind of do what you want to do within certain reason underneath our rule. And so they would put these rulers up to govern a particular area and govern people, and there was a Roman ruler, and then there was a ruler that was native to that area, and that's what Herod was. He's like the stool pigeon of a king, okay? He just kowtows to whatever Rome wants. He doesn't have his best people's or his people's uh, best interests in mind. He has his own best interests in mind. So this supposed king of the Jews is visited by these wise men from the east. Now, let's talk about what these wise men are. Now, how many do we typically talk about? Three. Why? Yeah, it doesn't say there are three, right? It says there were three gifts, but I want you to understand that there was probably a lot more than three. It would have been a caravan of people that came this way. And where did they come from? It says the east. That's all Matthew tells us. Now, what we do know about them is that they studied astrology. Not astronomy, by the way, but astrological signs and stuff. The things that we tell you, don't pay any attention to that garbage, right? I don't care what your sign is. You know what I mean? I saw a comedian that I just loved the other day because he was making fun of college girls and their obsession with, like, horoscope, you know? He's like, I bet you won't guess what my sign is. He's working the crowd, and they're like, oh, you know, you're probably this, that. He's like, no, I'm not going to tell you. I thought, oh, that's such a Scorpio thing to say or whatever. He goes, oh, that's right. That's exactly what it was. And this girl goes, oh, I knew it. And he goes, I was lying the whole time, you know? And you know why I was lying? Because I'm such an Aries. And And this other girl goes, oh, I knew it. And he goes, I'm still lying. I'm still lying. Someone asked me once what my sign was, Carmen, and I said, Velociraptor. (laughs) Right? And they go, that doesn't exist. I said, none of them do. So I, I, I say all that to emphasize the oddness of who it is that's in your nativity scene at your house. The men that's on camel, yeah. They read their horoscopes every single day. That's who's coming to the birth of our Savior, okay? And they come from the east, and scholars speculate about who they are. Here's what we can guess. We know that they are educated men, and we know that they study the skies, and they study Scripture because they're familiar with prophecies, which has caused them to, when they see this, believe that it's a sign that the Jewish king has risen, and and they know that because they studied the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish prophecies, along with probably others. The best case that we understand is that they are probably from Persia, and they were probably what were actually called magi. Now, magi is used a lot in the Bible, but there's a term magi that was used for the priests of a religion called Zoroastrianism. And Zoroastrianism is still around today, not very much, but it has all of these ties to that period of time in that area, in Persia. It was eventually kind of overthrown when Muslims came into the Arab region. There's connections going far back, speculated that there's connections between 
uh, Zoroastrianism and, and Abraham and his journeys and all sorts of stuff that we can speculate on. But what we know is that there was a very famous person in the Old Testament that was in Persia that was known to prophesy and would speak often because he was in charge of the priests of that area, and that man was named Daniel. Okay? And so when you start looking back in your Old Testament history to your New Testament history, you start to realize that there are certain connections that make sense as to why these men that were foreigners and practiced a different faith would be familiar enough with the prophecies of the Old Testament and what they were doing on a regular basis to identify something has just happened that is an indication we believe from something that we studied long ago that Isaiah said, and it has moved us to the point that we are going to take a journey, we are going to pack up all of these things along with our riches and we are going to cross the land and we are going to go find this king. That's what's happening. And so here they come and who do they come to? They come to Herod, the supposed king of the Jews. And Herod is as overjoyed as any sitting king would be to have these strangers come in and go, where's the new king? And he's just like, what? The new what? The new king. Surely you know there's an assumption here. Do you catch that? There's an assumption by these foreign pagan astrologers who have studied the Old Testament scriptures more than Herod himself. They've come and they're like assuming Herod would know where the new anointed one is. Where is he? He's like, what are you talking about? Scribes, can you come over here? What king is he talking about? And so they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's prophesied. Oh, great. Where's that supposed to happen? Oh, Bethlehem. Cool. So he goes and he gathers in secret. Now, this is what I love. Because Herod is a wicked king that's out for himself. But the scribes and the people that are under him all they do is study the Scripture and the Old Testament, and they understand the, the writings of the prophets and what God has promised. And they are suffering under a wicked king who's suffering under an oppressive rule. Do you think that they probably are looking for the Messiah that was promised of old? Probably. So he doesn't talk to these scribes that have just informed him about where the king is to be born. Instead, he gathers the wise men in secret. And I think he does this for two reasons. One because he wants to impress upon them this thing, and two, he's hiding his true intentions from those who are around him and assuming that these wise men who don't know him might think that he's actually on the up and up. You know what I mean? That he's actually on the level and that he actually wants to go pay worship to this new king. But we all know that is not at all what Herod's intentions are. So, they go to Bethlehem. They're following the star. They didn't need the scribes to tell them where he is. They come to Jerusalem, and they ask Herod where he is. And Herod says, well, the prophecy said he's going to be in Jerusalem. And then it just so happens as they continue to follow this, or in Bethlehem, as they continue to follow this star, which is a whole thing unto itself if you think about how stars work, Right? The miracle that they would see this light in the sky to indicate it, and that it would be a light that would be steady, that they could follow it to this place. That's not astrology. That's a miracle. That's not how the skies work, everybody. So they get there, 
and here's, here, here's how another way that I'm going to mess up your nativity. And I apologize in advance. You don't have to change it. You can keep it like it is. Okay? You're not going to find one out there like this either because you have two choices. You can either multiply the amount of wise men that are on camels, you know, or you could just remove them from the nativity altogether because when they get there, it is not on the night of Jesus' birth most likely. If you were paying attention to this, it says that they come and they arrive at a home. It's not at a stable, and they're not pushing through a crowd of shepherds on their way either. They've arrived at a later time in the story at this point. They have come, and we don't know how old Jesus is at this point. We can speculate, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a second. But they come, and they, in this caravan, they've been journeying to find this king. And in Bethlehem, they find this child anointed one. And they come, and it says they have exceedingly abundant joy. They are overjoyed. Over, overjoyed. The, the word here that I stopped earlier on we were reading to emphasize to you is rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Matthew is trying to express to us that there was an ecstatic excitement of not happiness, but joy that filled them at this discovery. Again, these pagan astrologers from another country, because they have found the anointed one that was prophesied about. And they worship him, these pagan astrologers. They worship the one true king, and they bring to him Gifts. And what are the gifts? Gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, it's funny, I have this old nativity that was my mom's. It was beautiful. It was crafted by some nuns in Corpus Christi, and it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's one of my favorite things I have that was hers. And in it, these, the depiction of these three wise men or these three kings has them holding these little boxes. Y'all, it was probably not that way. First of all, we already said there's, there's not three of them, right? And they were coming to do something that was normal for them to do, which was to visit a king and bring great riches with them. So they brought a lot of gold and a lot of frankincense and a lot of myrrh. Tim Hawkins has this great joke. You know, the, 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 there's a Christmas song. <laughs> the child, the child. Shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. How about a blanket? Just cover the child in gold. He'll be warm. <laughs> I love that. But they bring exceeding riches of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And scholars will tell you that there's probably meaning in what these gifts are. Now, there's some traditional ideas of what may have happened with these gifts, but here's what it means. The gold represents the king, the riches that you would bestow upon a king, and the frankincense was a spice used in anointing oil because this is the anointed one. But here's where it really gets you, because myrrh is a spice that's used in embalming. These gifts are prophetic. Because this is the king, the true king of the Jews. But he's also the anointed one, the Messiah that was born to die for our sins. And so they lay at his feet or at his, the feet of his 
parents in this house at some point after his birth these riches. And they worshipped him. And then it says, and they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And they departed and went to the country on their own way. And here's what I love about this unique story that we take for granted. This is the first time in the story at this point that we know of that God specifically intervenes actively in the situation to tell them, don't go back to Herod. They came of their own accord. They did not need an angel to come to them. You know, the shepherds have an angel appear to them and sing and tell them to go. The wise men, they just looked around and went, something is up. Something is happening. And we have to go there and see what it is. And I ask myself, if the religious people of the day and the king of the Jews were so clueless, but these pagans figured it out on their own, how often in our lives and our everyday circumstances are we surrounded by things that God is trying to do and show us, and we are oblivious to what is going on? Are you hearing me, church? We are so guilty of often putting ourselves, inserting ourselves into Scripture in the Old Testament and the New as the Israelites and as the Jews anytime there is a word for blessing. But we always extract ourselves when it comes to them being just boneheaded, stupid, and committing sins. But let me tell you, if you're gone, the, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. What you identify yourself with when it comes to blessings, we are guilty of when it comes to these other things. They were so preoccupied with who they are and what they were doing in the midst of Rome that nobody, not King Herod, not any of the priests at the temple, recognized what was going on. And it took a bunch of supposed Zoroastrian kings and wise men from some caste in the east to journey from Persia and find the king instead. And God wants to reveal things to us. He's shining this light for all to see. And that, see, what's great about this is it goes back to what Isaiah was saying. Darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness the people. It's not talking about actual light. It's talking about spiritual darkness. They're living in spiritual darkness. And it says, but the Lord, Jesus, will arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you. Just like John says in his first chapter. That those who beheld the face of Jesus beheld the glory of God. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's that. Scripture right there is why we take the wise men from Matthew and call them the three kings. Because of this recognition that it it was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah that they had come. And here's why Matthew inserts it. Matthew, as a gospel, is one of the more Jewish uh, gospels. Now, they're all kind of, by design, Jewish gospels, if you know what I mean. But Matthew, very specifically, from the very first chapter, begins to put forth a case of understanding of exactly how Jesus is the fulfillment of the new king, the new priest, and the new prophet, the new Moses, 
Here's his lineage. That's his first chapter. Here's the lineage to explain that he's coming from the house of David. And so repeatedly, just like in the Sermon of the Mount in chapter 5, where Matthew depicts Jesus as the new Moses, Matthew is continually writing this to a Jewish audience to tell them, here's what's going on. Here's everything you understand from the Old Testament. Here is how Jesus is fulfilling those things. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the anointed one. But he also does something else in the context of this. He repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly puts in this tapestry of who Jesus is, the fact that the Jews of the day, the select, elect, chosen priests and kings had no idea what was going on, and more than that, sought to kill him. Here at the very beginning, King Herod seeks to kill him. In the rest of this chapter, what we see is the flee to Egypt. It's speculated that Joseph probably used some of the riches that the men had brought these magi in order to fund their, their escape to Egypt and their time there. But why were they escaping? Because immediately King Herod sends his soldiers to the region to slaughter infants because he doesn't want a challenge to his throne. There cannot be a new king. He's not interested in salvation for Israel He's only interested in keeping his own power. And this time frame he gives, any child two years or under, gives us a time frame for when the Magi visited. That's why I say it wasn't on that night. Now, we don't know exactly when it was, and we don't know how old Jesus was, but we know this. He was between zero and two. And we know that it dealt with the time that the Magi visited Herod, and the time that he realized they hadn't come back. Whatever time is in there, along with the birth, is our time frame that we have. It's a loose time frame. It's not something super important that we have to, like, obsess about. You can keep your wise men in your nativity. It's perfectly fine. But let's do so with the reminder of exactly how powerful this story is, because we lose sight of the truth, church. That people continue to sit in darkness. And the light has already come. That light has risen. That light shines in every single one of us today. During this Christmas season, you know, it's always ironic. I work in retail and I handle marketing. So I'm very self-aware of the fact that I'm kind of part of the problem. But people are going to be people, you know what I mean? So we have Thanksgiving where we are grateful and thankful for everything that we have in our lives, for our family, for our friends, for our, our things, and then the very next day go out buy more things. You ever think about that? Thank you for everything that I have. Now to get some more. And the season has been commercialized to the point that it is simply about shopping and giving, Right? And we often have the adage that it's better to give than to receive while also making sure that we update our lists on Amazon and send them out to all of our loved ones so that when they are giving, we're receiving what we actually want. It's asinine. We've kind of lost the narrative. We say that Jesus is the reason for the season. 
But do we fall into the trap of King Herod and the others? To Caiaphas, why wasn't Caiaphas there? Why wasn't the chief priests there? Why didn't he recognize the star? Why didn't he understand? Surely he'd read Isaiah 60 hundreds of times. Are we like that? In the midst of the season, we lose sight of what it really is about. We say Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for life and breath and for everything that we do. Which brings me to our next scripture. If you go a little further in Matthew, in chapter 26, we see another picture that should remind us of exactly why the Magi visited Jesus. In chapter 26, verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, what, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, She has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This beautiful picture of what's happening is because she recognizes who Jesus is when everybody else still doesn't. How should we respond to God? That's the question. How should we respond to God? If God is real, how should you live your life? How should you live your life? We have this thing coming up called gifts to the king, and we want you to bring people, but they're not the audience. Do you understand? You're not the audience. When we come here on a Sunday morning and we we play our instruments and we sing and we worship, I'm not doing it for you. I hope you come along, but you're not the person I'm singing to. You're not the person I'm playing for. I'm an admitted gear addict. I absolutely love guitars and pedals and amps and all this stuff. It's why I do it for a living. Thank you, Lord, that I'm able to have a career that aligns with my geekery. But there's another aspect to it, and I I heard, you know, sometimes the truest things, just like we have these Zoroastrian, probably pagan astrologers that came and brought awareness to the fact that a new king was born, sometimes the truest statements I hear don't come from within inside the church. And so it was that I heard an interview with a record producer named Rick Rubin, and you probably have no idea who he is, but you've probably heard music that he's produced. And he's a crazy-haired, wild-beard you know, guy in the music industry, and I don't know what his beliefs are, but he said something that was so profound. And what he was saying was that when it comes to putting together a record or, or making music, the cost of things doesn't come into factor. Because when you're doing something as worship to God, it doesn't matter what it costs. This... This is my new justification for a new guitar every time I talk to my wife now. It doesn't matter what it costs, honey. How much is it? It doesn't matter. It's it's worship to God. But But I am serious about this. I want you to get this. When Mary anoints Jesus with that oil, 
and pours all of it out, the disciples, not the people hanging around, the disciples were indignant. They looked at them, and they were like, what a waste. Listen, you could do more with less. Okay? You didn't have to use all of that on him. We could have sold that, and we could have given money to the poor. We could have done these things. We could have done some activities as the church, you know? They were losing sight that the main purpose was to be there with him. It wasn't to be with the poor, and Jesus says so much. The poor are always going to be with you. Now, this isn't to say, like with the Church of Hope, that we're not supposed to give to the poor. They're always going to be here, though. But our first thing should be to worship God with all that we are, with all that we have. It's not to do what any other charitable organization, whether they believe in God or not, is to do. That's not the mission of the church. They have to respond in charity and love and be Jesus with skin on. Yes, but you can only do that. You can only be Jesus with skin on when you know Jesus. You can only have him in your heart when you accept him in your heart. You can only move in his power when you are filled with that power. And so the church has run amok too often, acting like the Jews did. They had no power. The church often has no power, and we see what the world's doing, and we go, well, yeah, let's not use all the oil over there. Let's pierce it out. Let's look like we're doing some good works. Maybe that'll get us into heaven. No. We are called to a singular purpose, and everything else comes from that. That purpose is to worship God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. All, not a portion of it. Paul writes in Colossians, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. These visitors from the east gained nothing. They didn't do it to gain. Oh, y'all need to hear me, church. They didn't do it to gain anything. They came to lay extravagant gifts at the feet of the anointed king because they knew that they should. That's it. We worship too often to receive. You don't have to worship to receive. You will receive. But our hearts have to be about worshiping to worship. We don't come to church to please man. You know? I love our pastor. I love every single one of you. I have a burden on my heart for every one of you. I don't come here for you. At work, when we go about our lives tomorrow, we're not there. For them. We shouldn't be there for a paycheck alone. We are going to, in any part of our lives, toil and work. But ask to be for God. We raise our children to honor him. 
we develop our relationships to honor him. We have to change our mindset. I've had a difficult time at work. You know, pastor said, you know, you're tired. I'm tired, y'all. I'm tired. And there's times where my attitude gets out of line, and I become angry with people I work with, and I think people are just stupid. <laughs> and I, I, I lose my patience, which is the fruit of the Spirit, so I shouldn't be able to lose it like my keys, but yeah, seems to be the thing. And then I read about these pagan astrologers, Carmen, and they got it. They understood and I'm like, okay, Lord, I get it. Help me understand that every day when I wake up and when, Tammy, when someone wants egg whites with no eggs, like, you know, you give them some chives unto the Lord. There's your plate. You know? And, John, when someone with a stupid BMW issue comes and they're acting dumb, you should expect that. You work at a BMW shop. <laughs> but you grin, and you bless them, and you do it unto the Lord. <sighs> this season... Let's actually celebrate Christ's Mass this season as you get with your friends and your family and someone burns food that you were looking forward to and you get something you didn't want for Christmas. Just remember why we are doing this. And, and just to make you feel better in advance, my grandfather once gave me a can of pineapple juice. I was like that kid, an avocado, thanks. I... I unwrapped this can, not a bottle. It wasn't Dole either. It was like Hill Country Fair, pineapple juice. And I was like, pineapple juice, thanks. And then four years in a row, he gave me a pocket edition law library. I think it was a subtle hint. But in those moments, I remember my grandfather, and I'm thankful for what he did. And more than anything, I'm thankful that we were together because we were worshiping Jesus. We were together at that particular time of the year to remember that God loved us enough to condescend to our level, to become like us, to be born to die so that the light could shine in the darkness that I once found myself in. Amen. Amen. All right, let's end with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We worship you. You are great and mighty king. Anointed one. Holy, holy, holy are you, Jesus. We thank you that during this time of the year where we come together in church and is with friends and family and our coworkers, and we look around the entire world world, knowingly or unknowingly, rejoices in your birth. We thank you. 
we thank you for coming and being born like one of us in order to provide forgiveness that none of us could ever purchase. Lord, remind us of your love and help us to be mindful of the things that are around us, the signs that you are at work and that you have work for us to do. And fix our attitudes. Help us instead to walk in exceedingly great joy as we do everything unto your name in worship. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, and amen, and amen. Well, if you have been watching us online, thank you for joining us this morning or at some time in, at a future date. And I hope you were blessed by this message. And if you were, please let us know. And please uh, watch again, or even better, if you can, visit us in person. God bless.